Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 77 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds for a compliance or compliance-related topic each week. Today, we go double meta as we go into the weeds about weed. With the recent announcement by the Trump administration that it would not prosecute individuals or marijuana growers in states which had legalized marijuana for personal consumption or for medical use. We also discussed the recent addition of John Boehner and William Weld, the board of Acreage Inc., a marijuana grower, and what that may mean for the decriminalization of marijuana nationwide. It's a fascinating exploration, and as I said, we get to go double meta. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode, and I have waited so long to say this. So, Matt, please excuse me for not introducing you yet, but we're going to do a podcast, Into the Weeds, about weed. So, inspired by my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, the uh, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we're going to talk about a uh, move memorialized by a blog post Matt wrote on April 14th entitled Weed Compromise Moves DOJ Nominees, where the uh, president has apparently uh, indicated to uh, Colorado Senator Cory Gardner that he will not uh, go after or the his Justice Department will not go after states who have uh, legalized uh, marijuana sales. So, Matt, this is just too rich uh, to pass up in my mind. You want to set the stage for us? It, it, Yeah, I do. My only regret with that headline is later on on LinkedIn, I, I rephrased it as we deal in Senate moves uh, DOJ nominees, which I think would be even better. Um, so, but he, here's what happened. Yeah, is that um, way back when, way back when in Trump time, of course, meaning like last fall, I think it was, that uh, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced that he was repealing the Cole memo, which was the um, detente that the Justice Department had reached in the Obama administration, that it would not enforce federal drug laws against marijuana in states where marijuana sales have been legalized. Um, And that came about in the Obama administration. Attorney General Jeff Sessions late last year said he's going to repeal that. And what would happen after that with weed um, enforcement in states like Colorado, in my own state of Massachusetts, in many others? What would happen there? We weren't really sure. So uh, Senator Cory Gardner put a freeze on all Justice Department nominations as of January, I think, 3rd or so of this year. And that was a lot. Uh, There was at least a dozen, I think maybe as many as 20, including some high level nominations that uh, were put on the deep freeze. When were they going to move forward again? We didn't know. And uh, so finally, the logjam started to break earlier this year, but really broke last week where Cory Gardner announced that he and the president have reached a deal that uh, in states where weed is legal, the Justice Department will not be enforcing um, federal anti-drug laws. Um, basically, I, it seems to me like the, what had been the COLA memo will now be back into effect, even if we're not going to call it the COLA memo. Um, so then Gardner said, OK, he's going to lift his hold on all Justice Department nominees. Um, 
The probably most notable one for compliance officers would be the assistant attorney general in charge of the criminal division. The nominee there is a guy named Brian Benskowski. I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Uh, he was nominated last year. The nomination died last year, and then the president renominated him at the beginning of January, and it immediately got stuck in this quagmire, and it is now out. When will it move forward exactly? We're not quite sure, but now it could move forward. There will be some other nominations that will move forward. Um, and then if we want to talk about other aspects, either of Justice Department policy or the weed business, we can, but that's the, the lay of the land right now. So I guess, Matt, um, kind of starting on the uh, congressional level, to see Trump step in and make a deal with uh, Senator Gardner, uh, I guess we have to add with the caveat of Trump whether he'll follow that deal. But to overrule his attorney general really spoke to me that uh, either someone told Trump to do this who's much more politically savvy than Trump, or Trump does have some political instincts if uh, you can get through um all of the smoke and haze to get down to it, he can make a deal for something he wants. And he obviously wants his people uh, to at least get hearings in front of the Senate. So really, um, kind of any thoughts on where this may take sessions? Um, no, because Donald Trump has already trampled all over Jeff Sessions so often. I don't think one more stomp on his reputation is going to make that much difference. Um you know, clearly, I think Jeff Sessions is willing to swallow pretty much any indignity in this job uh, from the president, so long as he still gets to do what Jeff Sessions wants, which, as far as I can tell, is to just focus on illegal immigration. Um, but other than that, the president has routinely beaten up on Jeff Sessions on Twitter. He's, I think, beaten up on him in spoken interviews. And then he does these political digs where he just disregarded his attorney general and cut the steal. Um, you know, I, it, it, like I said, is it a slight against attor the attorney general? Yes. Does it make that much more difference in a very battered reputation already? I don't think so, but we are where we are. So Matt, um, you uh, correctly noted that your home state of Massachusetts is one state who has approved the consumption of, uh, marijuana, um, uh, under state law. Obviously, Colorado was one of the first states that, uh, the first state uh, to make it uh, legal for recreational use as opposed to simply medical use. Could you give us some, a bit of the flavor of the uh, logic reasoning or kind of campaign issues in Massachusetts? I recognize it may have been similar to other states, but uh, perhaps it would be uh, good for our listeners to, to hear again, what are some of the pro arguments for uh, legalization of both medical marijuana and for personal consumption? Well, I think a lot of people here in Massachusetts, and we legalized it, I want to say, in 2016, um, where we voted to legalize it, and then um, it's been phased in. So you can, in Massachusetts, you can consume it and grow it personally, and we are in the final throes of regulations to sell it commercially. Um, you know, I mean, I think most people here just don't see it as that big of a deal. It is certainly not that big of a deal compared to, say, the opioid crisis, which is an enormous deal. And uh, there are many pro-weed people who will say you don't overdose from smoking weed. You fall asleep from smoking weed and then, you know, you space out and miss your bus and that's about it. But you know, nobody's dying out in a parking lot because they've smoked too much dope. 
which is not the same with opioid abuse, where that is what's happening. Um, it is a lucrative source of tax revenue, and I think that state officials have been keenly aware of that. We are going to have a special sales tax, for example, in Massachusetts that last I heard was going to be in the neighborhood of 20% on a every weed sale. I'm, I'm not up on my weed business here in Massachusetts. I, I am not a user, so I'm not quite sure. But um, they think that it is probably better to bring this into a regulated framework. Uh, you can enjoy the uh, extra tax revenues that the state gets. And then fundamentally, it's not that big of a public health crisis compared to some of the many other health crises and drug abuse crises this country has. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's hard to argue against it when frankly, a lot of people would say the state has bigger problems than weed abuse. So Matt, I'm per particularly persuaded by the taxation argument and the, uh, if it is going to be uh, ubiquitous in its use on an illegal basis and it's not a health, uh, a major health issue, uh, why not bring it in, into a legal rubric and at least get the tax dollars for it? And I think the Colorado experience has demonstrated that it is a legitimate tax resource to the state, and it can be regulated uh, in a way that not only drives the tax revenue to the state, but also drives the regulatory uh, the regulatory regime, allowing greater oversight. So uh, my hope is that many states will follow the California, Colorado, and now Massachusetts model, because I see the, the taxation argument is one that uh, seems to me to be a, a potential of revenue that has been untapped since at least the 30s. It, I think it can be. What's most interesting to me from a more kind of academic perspective is that the regulatory framework around um, how you would actually manage the sale of it that's very complex. Um, there's still a lot of, um, I guess, confusion about how we businesses can tap into the banking system. Uh, so, you know, could they get banking from an interstate bank that is federally regulated? And a lot of banks would just as soon not have that problem. So they won't give business to, they won't extend financial services to we businesses. So they're still all cash. And uh, that probably does nobody any favors. Um, and then I've had new conversations before around kind of the fascinating ethics and compliance challenges around being a counselor to the weed business. Uh, if you are a lawyer, could you uh, have an ownership stake in a weed business? Could you smoke it with your client? Uh, could you be disbarred or face disciplinary action from that? And a lot of state bar associations are still struggling with that state by state, question by question. You know, you could get lost for hours trying to unravel some of those questions. So, and that really leads into the next thing I wanted to explore, which was this just delicious headline from High Times. And I had to read directly from High Times just on this one, which is John Boehner joins Cannabis Board to reschedule marijuana. And uh, this comes from nine years ago where John Boehner told Bloomberg that he was unalterably opposed to legalization. And now he and former Massachusetts Governor William Weld have uh, gone on to the board of a major U.S. cannabis company, Acreage Holdings, and uh, who is basically a cultivation center and processor, uh, to try to change the um, drug scheduling of marijuana from, I believe, a number one or class one uh, uh, narcotic to a class five, which would be the lowest uh, level of, of narcotic. But from uh, my perspective, Matt, to, to have 
two, uh, I think, still well-respected politicians, certainly very public politicians, uh, late in their careers, both uh, over, well over 60, move onto a board of a cannabis company, I really think speaks to the social and now economic change for the cannabis industry. Uh, I think that you are right. I am more struck by John Bonier than uh, Bill Weld. Uh, Bill Weld uh, was the governor of Massachusetts back in the early 90s. And so I remember him that he was a big fan of the Grateful Dead in the 60s and 70s. I expect that this is not Bill Weld's first encounter with marijuana. That's just a guess. Uh, but John Bonier, like you said, you know, he had come out saying he's unalterably opposed and now he's in favor of it. Um, I think I may be wrong on this, but I believe that they are serving only on an advisory board for acreage holdings. They are not on its board of directors. I might be wrong. And I don't know how much they are getting paid to do this. Uh, they did say that they are their role is primarily for raising the profile of these issues. I don't believe they're making business decisions or in you know setting corporate governance policy for this company, which is acreage holdings. Uh, but yeah, they're and you know they are. I think trying to address questions such as let's take what had been in the coal memo and codify that in some sort of legislation. Uh, is that likely to happen this year? I don't think so. Would it be likely to happen in maybe a future Congress controlled by Democrats? I could see that happening actually. Um, I suppose maybe there's enough Republicans out there who might tolerate uh, a national law that legalizes weed that seems a bit far-fetched but crazier things have happened but i could easily see if democrats retake congress this fall that yeah maybe we might have a legalization sometime next year so this has really been a fascinating exploration we did take a look at an earlier podcast in an earlier podcast about some of the procedural issues you raised certainly around uh, lawyers being counselors uh, but also, uh, I have uh, visited with uh, persons who are interested in financing and non-traditional forms of financing, such as Bitcoin, because of the lack of access to federally funded banks. And yeah. even um, certain companies are interested in being monitor oversight uh, for state regulatory authorities around uh, marijuana. So I think this is going to be a fascinating uh, way for us to watch this and because we can literally watch an entire compliance industry grow in front of us. No, that was a terrible fun. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm just, can't help myself now. Um, but we can uh, really be sit <laughs> at the creation of, of uh, watching uh, compliance and the cannabis industry uh, grow up together, you know, perhaps in, in, in a legal regime, which is something two, three years ago, probably neither one of us would have thought possible. I, I've never seen something quite like this before. And it's, um, it's different than, say, watching the privacy regimes around data protection grow up with the Internet over the course of 30 years. Like this, this is going to require some conscious, thoughtful effort about how do we do this at the state level, among professional bodies, at you know, industry level, um, at the federal level. Um, but, you know, you got to think. If you're running a weed business, you do not want bags of cash sitting in some vault somewhere in your garage. You do want access to the uh, federal banking system. You probably do want oversight. Um, and there are lawyers who are more than happy to offer their services. And it's just it's going to be an endless series of questions that we can answer over the next several years. And uh, it, it'll be something to see. 
Well, Matt, this has uh, been too fun of a meta, meta, meta podcast. I look forward to uh, going into the weeds at some point in the future. All right, Tom. Take care. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can reach Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the only deep-dive compliance-related podcast posted each week. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, and I hope you will join us again next week when Matt Kelly and I take another deep dive into the compliance weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.